first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2. That's for you. That's present for you. Um, in, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census, census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And because there was no room for them in the inn, because there was no room for them in the inn, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. Thank you, Jesus. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly, heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. A lot of joy, a lot of rejoicing in this story, a lot of wonder. Um, And so Amy was was up a couple of weeks, a couple of Sunday mornings ago, and, and, and what struck me as Amy spoke is that in the midst of all of this, so as Amy's speaking, I'm, I'm already in the, in the process of thinking, right, next Sunday's coming up, and then with Christmas Eve and with Christmas Day, what, what else can we say? I've done, done Christmas, done a Christmas message now for the last five or six years. The well seems to be running pretty dry when it comes to this story, and, and I find myself caught in that moment as Amy spoke that he is, that he is wonderful that he's wonderful and uh, and just struck once again by his by his wonder and at the same time just grieving the fact that this story that it can just we can just end up assuming the story we can just get caught up in the in the in the culture narrative and the, the nativity scenes and all of that and actually lose the wonder lose the mystery lose the reason to cause us to leave an encounter with Jesus, rejoicing and celebrating because we've experienced and we've encountered something unique and strange and precious, but something that has in fact changed the world. Things will never be the same again because of this moment. I found myself over the last couple of weeks almost grieving the fact that we can just so often assume the story. And I really don't want to be pedantic this morning. I don't want to be a killjoy. I don't want to, be, I don't want to ruin nativity 
for you just for the sake of it. But I realized this week especially that, that how much of the story I actually just assumed just got caught up in the culture, the, the Sunday school, the, the, the school plays were the thing that taught me this Christmas story. Because you know what? There's no, there's no, there's no account of the Mary riding in on the donkey. Do you know, there's no account of an innkeeper shutting the door in their faces. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about a mad rush to get to Bethlehem quickly. It doesn't tell us that because in verse 6 it says, while they were there, while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And I don't want to ruin the scene for you, but there was no mad rush. They were already there. There was no innkeeper slamming the door in the face of Mary and Joseph. And there was no, as Chris Kandaya said, there was no pantomime donkey that was bringing Mary and Joseph on the way. And, and, that, and it, seems, it seems, maybe it seems pointless for me to even share that. Maybe think, that's, what difference does that make? For me, it made a difference because it's all of a sudden I realized I, I was not reading this story the way that I read every other part of the Bible. I read the Bible to see, God, what it is that you want to teach me what it is that you want to reveal to me. And, and often I find myself, as I come to the, to the Christmas passages, I almost find myself skimming over them because I know them. I've had them played out year after year. Now that my kids are at school, I get to play it out year after, after year. And you know, in verse 7, while I'm on the track, verse 7, that word, there was no room for them in the inn. That word is only used three times in the New Testament. And every time it is used to describe a guest room. And, uh, and just to show you, just for the sake of interest, maybe for some of you, you're just shutting down, you're already ignoring me because you're ruining my nativity scene. Stop. Forgive me, please. But just for those that might be interested, Kelly, if you want to put up that picture for me, this is what a first century house looked like. And the word used for in in chapter 2, verse 7 of Luke is the is a Greek word, kataluna. And there it is. It's a guest room. It's a guest room off the side of the family room. And every home in, the, in this Jewish culture would have had the family room and the guest room on an upper level and on the lower level to help as much as anything to heat the house. The animals would have came in at night and, uh, and stayed in the lower level in the stable underneath. And uh, I'm, I'm really, that's, that's just for interest. For me, it's been more than that. It's been a, it's been a journey of, of realizing that so much of my assumptions of around this story have just been following the cultural narrative. And for me, that's concerning because it, I think it's the reason why I've lost the wonder. You can take that down, Kelly. It's the reason why I've lost wonder. And I make that point just to, as a, it's not my main point this morning, but I love it this day over these next couple of days, that something would happen that would recapture the wonder of this story. Like the shepherds, we would return glorifying and praising God. Like Mary, that we would, that we would actually ponder. We would treasure these things in our heart. Something would happen to cause us just to sit and behold, to take it all in. In the busyness, in the craziness, in the noise, and all of that, we'd be like Mary and ponder and take it all in. But the story, the, 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 the one, the, the really the one line that I want to take away, the one thing that I'd love us to take away today, the thing that is 
that has confronted me, the thing that I've encountered in this story this week, is what it would be like to be a person of welcome. What is it? What does it mean to be a people of welcome? And the whole way through the story, the whole way through this account, whether it's in Mary or Joseph or other families who we don't hear much about, whether it's the shepherds, the angels, whatever it is, the truth is that in this moment, they have found themselves in a peculiar place and at a strange time. That's, that's, that's surely we can agree on that. Here, all of a sudden, something new has happened. We're in it. We're something, something completely strange. This is a peculiar place. This is a strange time. And in those moments, and that was the case for each one of the people in this story, in those moments, we have a choice. We decide whether we enter into the story, whether we step into the unknown or whether we choose to cling to the familiar. And Mary had that choice. Joseph had that choice. The shepherds, I believe, had that choice. Herod had that choice. They all had this choice. And I think we have this choice this morning as well as we encounter love incarnate as we encounter joy incarnate, as we encounter God dwelling among us, God among us, Emmanuel, God with us, we have this choice whether we will step into the unknown, whether we'll step into mystery, step into the, to this, the strangeness of it all, or we'll choose to cling to the familiar. I think every one of the people in this story has that choice, and we have that choice this, today. We have that choice in this Christmas season. And as we think of Mary... Love Mary. And she appears to be this insignificant teenage girl. And in many ways she is. This insignificant teenage girl, yet God, Yahweh, Father, chooses her. Father chooses her and invites her to welcome his very self. It's the first story we have of welcome, I think, in this whole narrative. It goes right to the beginning of Luke chapter 1. God chooses Mary and he invites her. Jesus' choice to make. Do I choose to step into the unknown or will I reject and retreat and cling to what is familiar? And Mary, we're told, says in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Be to me as, as you have said. Whatever you have said, let it be. I'm your servant. I'm stepping into the unknown. Stepping into the mystery of it all. And she submits to his plan despite what it will cost her. She says yes to the welcome. She welcomes God himself. Despite what it will cost her, I don't think we, I don't think we understand. I don't think we, we get the extent of what it cost uh, Mary and Joseph in terms of reputation, in terms of their future, in terms of the, um, the dreams that they maybe had for themselves, in terms of the family that they maybe thought that they would build, the career that they thought that they would build the reputation that they thought they would have among family and friends, saying yes to Jesus, welcoming, welcoming Jesus, welcoming almost the stranger in at Christmas meant that uh, submitting to his plan despite what it will cost. I love Joseph. I think Joseph is an unsung hero in the story. Again, we don't, I, don't, I don't think in 21st century we realize the shame and the ridicule that Joseph would have been faced with faced with the shame, faced with the ridicule, and he still he still makes the decision. He still decides to welcome Mary. 
and he still decides to welcome the baby. He still decides to welcome Jesus. And, the, and as Jesus' life goes on, we see Joseph who goes on to care for Jesus. We see Joseph who willingly goes on to, to raise Jesus. He includes him. They have more, Mary and Joseph have more family. And, he, and Joseph includes Jesus into his family even though he is not Joseph's birth child. We see that in we see that example everywhere. We see it in the life of Bridget willing willing to to receive child, include children as part of family, even though it is not the birth children, and Joseph did just the same. He decided, he made a choice, he was going to welcome Mary in. He was going to welcome the baby in. Despite the shame that he would face, despite the ridicule that he would face. Joseph welcomed Mary, welcomed the baby. And then we have the birth of Jesus. And Mary and Joseph together as a couple opened their hearts and welcomed in the stranger. I I have I it took me a couple of it took me a couple of goes to learn this lesson. Because the first time that we had the first time that uh, we had a baby, me and Judith, never Judith had a baby. But I am um, the first time that that we had a child, Caleb was born, and uh, and so ten minutes hadn't passed. Richard, can I tell people yet? Can I tell people yet? That's why I'm on the phone. Everybody, anybody who will listen, anybody who will receive a text message, I'm on the phone. They're like, seriously? I'm like twenty minutes away. Can I call over? Yes, of course you can. Get over now. Let's come on ahead. And an hour, two hours after Caleb being born. Uh, Two of my friends stand there that Judith doesn't really know that well with a balloon and a teddy bear. And like, oh my goodness, I will, I will never do that again. And, uh, but here we have the story of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are all that Mary went through. And all that, all that Joseph would have went through as well. And, uh, and here comes these strange men. Probably pretty smelly, unfamiliar, different. Those that were the lower caste of society, and they arrive, they arrive wherever this was, wherever we, wherever you want to think that Mary and Joseph and the baby were. But the shepherds arrive where Mary and Joseph and the baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths, are, and they welcome them in. They open their hearts and they welcome in. The stranger. I love Mary and Joseph. They make space for the outsiders. They make space for the, what that which is unfamiliar. They're so committed to the to the welcome. They're so committed to being a people of welcome. And then as the story goes on, we 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 are introduced to Herod, and Herod's the complete opposite. Herod has no time for the strange. All of this new stuff that's going on welcoming the stranger, the strange thing that has taken place in Bethlehem. He is unwilling to welcome the strange. He's unwilling to welcome the stranger. He has no welcome for Jesus. The story of Mary and the story of Joseph, the story of them together stands in stark contrast to to King Herod. Really quickly, let me just talk about Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. So I thought about that last night. It's just the most st- stunning thought. 
There's times where I, where I hear myself saying, Emmanuel, God with us. And it, not, it doesn't always land. But there's the odd moment where I hear myself say, Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And there's moments where it's like, it takes my breath away. There's moments where it captivates my heart. There's moments where it, where it leaves me breathless, where it stuns me. And through his birth, he is no longer a stranger. Through his birth, he is no longer a stranger to any one of us. And it's, the story is stunning. Let it never lose its wonder. Because he limits himself, God in flesh, he comes and he limits himself to human flesh. And that's one thing. That's one thing that's, that's stunning in itself. He limits himself to human flesh, but he does it by becoming one of the most vulnerable. And in the Christmas story, we see him as one of the most vulnerable. What is more vulnerable than a newborn baby? What is more vulnerable than an illegitimate child? We get on to the story. What is more, and we see it even today, what is more vulnerable than a refugee? And in the first two years of Jesus' life, he was all three of those things. A newborn baby, an illegitimate child, and a refugee. He limits himself to human, human flesh, but he actually does it in a way that he becomes the, one of the most vulnerable in society. And so through his birth, we are no longer strangers. And through his life, we see over and over again, he stands with the oppressed and he stands with the outsider. It's so attractive to read through the story of Jesus and see how he continually stands with the oppressed how he's always standing with the outsider. And that's what he came to teach us. It's part of the reason why he came. And this season is, is one that we remember what he came to teach us. He came to teach us about welcoming. He came to teach us about welcoming the lost and the last and the least. And his life, his life reminds us of that. His life is the greatest example of that. And then through his death, through his death, he welcomes sinners. And he willingly gives his life so that we can be reconciled to God. Willingly gives his life so that we can be reconciled to God. And more than that, so that we can be welcomed into family. This is an incredible story of welcome. And what would it be like for us to be a people of welcome? And I finish with these four questions. Could we be like Mary? Could we be like Mary and wholeheartedly welcome God into our lives, submitting to his will, whatever it may cost? I guess what's the Christmas story? It's caused me to wrestle. Could I be like Mary? Could we be like Mary, wholeheartedly submitting, wholeheartedly welcoming God into our lives and submitting to his will, whatever it may cost? Could we be like Joseph? Could we be like Joseph and willingly commit to loving and welcoming those who need it? Especially this season. Could we be like Joseph? Willingly commit to loving and welcoming those who need it. Could we be like them both? Could we be the dream team? Could we be like Mary and Joseph? Could we open our hearts? Could we welcome the stranger? And could we embrace? Could we embrace with those who were unfamiliar? Like that's what Mary and Joseph did. Could we be like that? Open our hearts, welcome the stranger and embrace those who once were unfamiliar. And ultimately, 
Could we be like Jesus? Could we be like Jesus and walk with the unclean? Fight for the oppressed, restore the broken and stand for the vulnerable even though we might be rejected? Could we be like Jesus? Welcome the whosoever. Stand with the broken and embrace and embrace to those who are oppressed, standing with and advocating for the vulnerable, even though, like Jesus, we may be rejected. And so whoever you are around today, whoever you're around today or tomorrow or this whole Christmas season, the rest of this week, I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with myself that I would be commit to being a person of welcome. I, think we've, I don't know whether we've already sang it or not, but I think it's enjoy to the world. Let every heart prepare him room. And as we prepare him room, we can't do it. We can't do that while neglecting the lost and the last and the least. We can't do it while forgetting about the oppressed and the vulnerable and the poor. We can't do it because Jesus reminds us of that in one of the closing parables in the Gospel of Matthew. Because whatever you've done to one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so as you give room, as you prepare room to welcome him, it's going to be seen in how prepared you are to welcome the stranger, to welcome family, to welcome the widow, the orphan, the poor, the outsider. And so my prayer for us is that that in this Christmas season we would be a people of welcome and every heart would prepare him room. Amen. Thank you.